I want to encourage you to use your connection card that's in your bullets and take a moment and fill that out, and we'll receive those here a little bit later during our offering time. You know, I look across this room, and I can't tell you I know every single person in this room, but I know many of you. I look across, and I see over here in this section, I see a, a factory worker sitting over here. I, I see an engineer sitting over here. I look over here and I see a pharmacist sitting in here in this room. I see a school teacher. I see a professor. I see a retired person. I see someone who's working in sales. Look over here, I see some students. Look across, see someone who works for a trash company. I look across, see school teachers sitting in here. See people who work at UK. You know, you look across, and everybody in here probably say, Yeah, I have a job, unless I'm retired, right? You're going to amen everything today, aren't you, Sunday? Amen. amen. UK won yesterday. A- amen. <laughs> Sunday. Sunday. Are you with me? UK won yesterday. Okay. <laughs> you know, you think about this um, Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend. Tomorrow you have Monday off. Amen. Hmm. Wow, this is good. Let's keep going. You think about your different jobs looking across, or if you're a student, I, th- I think of a student and think of your, your work as a job, that's, that's your job right now while you, maybe you're a student. For some students, I know you have part-time jobs. What, what are all these, these jobs, what do we have in common when it comes to these jobs? Here's what's in common. Tuesday morning, all of us will get up. Some of you will get up tomorrow. I know you don't have tomorrow off. But Tuesday morning, all of us will get up and we'll enter in those jobs, in those places of employment, and you have an opportunity before you. And every single one of us in this room have that opportunity. Now, if you're retired, you say, well, I, I did that some years ago, but even in retirement, you'll get up Monday, you'll get up Tuesday, and you'll go into this world in some capacity, and we have an opportunity, a labor day. It differs in... In every essential way from other holidays of the year than any other country, said Samuel Gompers, founder of longtime president of the American Federation of Labor. He said all other holidays are in, in a more or less degree connected to the conflicts and battles of man's prowess over man or strife and discord for greed and power of glories achieved by one nation over another nation. Labor Day is devoted to no man, living or dead, to no sect, race, or nation. Labor Day, the first Monday in September, is the creation of the labor movement and is dedicated to social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. So Labor Day is basically a day to take a day to celebrate, take a day to take a break and celebrate employment. And then we have an opportunity where God provides for us through employment. But so many times we talk about Tuesday or going to work on Monday morning, and what do we think about? Oh man, I don't want Monday to come. I don't want Tuesday to come. If we took a poll in here, how many people in here would say, man, I just love my job. I just love it. There's, there's some who do that, right? I love my job. There's a few who do. You know, um, how many people don't look forward to going to work on Monday morning or Tuesday? You're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I have Monday off. 
How many of you have missed your fellow workers so much that you can't wait to see them? I can't wait to go to work tomorrow and see my fellow workers. According to Pew Research, 51% of American workers are unhappy with their jobs. So half of America, they get up and they go to work to go do something that they do not enjoy. That might be you here today. Now half of you, that means you get up and you go to a place of employment and you go, I love it. Many of our workforces always say they're unhappy they do because it's the same old, same old, day after day, same routine, and their life just seems to be a meaningless merry-go-round with no real purpose to it. Tennessee Ernie Ford, the old country song, used to sing, you load 16 tons and what do you get? See, our older crowd knows that one. Another day older and deeper in debt. That's kind of the American rat race. Go to work, do it again, do the job over, and the bills are still piling up, and the debt is still there. So today, I want to challenge you this weekend, this this Labor Day weekend, to look at your place of employment, your job differently, because your job is so much more than a job if we can open our eyes to a God-centered vision about what we do every day when we get up and go to that job. Your job or your career your place of employment, your school that you go to, it's your mission field. It's your mission field. See, our problem is that in life, we divide everything into what we call secular and sacred categories. I have my secular life and I have my sacred life. We see it over here as my secular life. These are the things I do with God. This is I go to church, I go to a religious event, I go to a small group, I go to a Bible study, and maybe within an entire week I'll put in maybe three, four, five hours into, into what I call my sacred life, but then the rest of my life is my secular life, and that's where I go to work, and I interact with people, and I go shopping, and I go to the stores, and many times we tend to divide those up, and I give God my, my sacred time, and I give this world the secular time, but God wants every day, every hour, every minute, so that the secular and the sacred merge together just like this. But in our American culture, we're taught, divide it. Separate. Don't let the two mix together. So I want you to consider some truths with me today that if you were to embrace these truths, your job could drastically change and come Monday mornings or this week, Tuesday morning when you get up, you could walk in that job with a whole new perspective. See, truth number one is this. Your everyday work is a service for God. No matter what it is. You realize that almost everything that we do affects somebody else. You realize every area of work you're affecting somebody else's life. For instance, think about this for a minute. Many of you today are going to go to a restaurant right after church. And you're going to go and you're going to sit down and there's a waiter or a waitress is going to come take care of you. But think about the waitress that serves you, the waiter. How does this, how does this happen that this food actually get to your table? See, the dishwasher has to clean the dishes because none of us would want to go to a restaurant and eat off of dirty dishes. The cooks must prepare the food. The cooks, though, need a training by some managers or culinary school before they started cooking in that restaurant. The cooks need the food delivered to the restaurant. The trucks must deliver the food, so there's truck drivers who are delivering the food. The trucks need fuel, and they have to stop at a gas station, and so there's a gas attendant who cares for them. But before the trucks can deliver the food, somebody must load the trucks. That's what my dad did. He was in that chain somewhere. 
Before the truck can be loaded, though, the food must be packaged in a warehouse. It must be all put together. But before it can be packaged, the food needs to be grown somewhere. And there's a farmer who's growing the food or raising the cattle or taking care of the chickens. Before the restaurant is even needed, there must be an investor who's going to open it up. The investor, though, needed a bank who would provide them money. And that bank needed you and I's money to be invested in a bank. Do you realize how much it takes to get that waiter or waitress to deliver your food to just your table? Think about all the different workers who made that possible for you to go there. And then we go and we sit and we eat and we go, man, this is awful expensive. There's a whole lot of people down the chain that had to be paid somewhere along the way. And I'm sure I'm missing many steps of it. And if you serve in one of those industries, you can make the connection and go, man, I played a role in feeding a person today. But take your job, whatever it is, and think about all the different people that you can make an impact on. See, when we sit down at that restaurant, we're being blessed by the many laborers who made that possible for us to sit down and enjoy that meal on that day. Think about your job. You have that chance to touch so many lives by the work you do. It's so much more than a paycheck. It's so much more than this is just to pay my bill because somebody is a beneficiary of your labor. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life in a little town called Nazareth helping his earthly father in the carpentry shop. Why? Because work was important. Such an example for us. Because people needed houses. Because people needed tables and chairs. Because people needed an ox, uh, uh, yokes for their oxen. Because people needed chairs to sit on. Because people needed a place to, to fellowship and spend time. And they weren't going to just sit on dirt floors and just never have a piece of furniture. The same is true for you and me. We have an awesome responsibility. What we say and what we do are so important, and it makes a difference because others are, by, are affected by what we do. The Apostle Paul said to the, church, or to the people in Rome, in Romans 12, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service or worship. Stop and think about it for a minute. See, we tend to think of worship as what we do on Sunday morning. We come in here and we sing some songs and we hear a sermon, we partake in communion, we give an offering, we, we fellowship with one another, and we go home and we say, I worship today. Do you know you worship tomorrow morning when you get out of bed? You should. You worship when you sit down in the morning and you open up your Bible and you start to read. You worship when you spend a little bit of time in prayer. But you worship when you go to your work. It could be a place of worship. But for most of us, they say, oh my goodness, I hate this job. So you're telling God, I'm not sure if I'm going to worship today. See, every day you have the opportunity. In the book of Colossians, Paul told the church in Colossae, he said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, you go to work, you may have a terrible boss, but you can look right past that boss and you know, ultimately, my boss is God Almighty. And I'm going to work today, and I'm going to serve him. I'm going to worship, because I'm going to do work that is, is God-honoring. And I know I'm going to look past my boss. I'm going to look past my coworkers, maybe difficult. I'm going to look and go, you know what? I'm here to worship God, and so I'm going to serve him. So we can serve God in the way we work every single day. Your work, it's a sacrifice of love that meets needs within our society. Here's truth number two. You can serve God where you work. You can serve them right where you work. Now, some of you are going, hold on a minute, Brian. Hold on, you don't know where I work. 
You don't know what my culture is like. You don't know my boss, Brian. You haven't met him or you haven't met her. There's no way to serve God where I'm at. You don't know the kind of people I have to work with. You don't know the power struggles that go on, the flirtation that goes on, the cursing that goes on. You don't know the dirty stories that are told. You don't know about the pornography that is being passed. You don't know about the drugs that are being sold. You don't know about the alcohol. You don't know about all that, Brian, because you're not in that world. You're in the church. And you tell me that I can serve God? Ephesians 6 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you'd obey Christ, obey them not only to win the favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Now, we think of the word slave, and obviously our mind goes to the season of slavery in America. That's not what this is talking about. The better translation is actually worker. So this passage is very appropriate today because it's very close to us. And so if you were to write this passage today, Paul would probably say it this way. Workers, obey your earthly boss with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like workers of Christ doing the will of God from your hearts. Paul would say workers. Workers, look at your boss. Look at your place of employment. And you have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ brightly. Now, that's interesting. Because what he's saying is that even though your boss is a two-legged monster and he's a pagan, the worst pagan you've ever seen or most difficult person to work with, do your work for him as though you're doing it for Christ. Wait a minute. You mean that scoundrel, the one I know is cheating and stealing and lying? You know the one who's maybe messing around and cheating on his wife or cheating on her husband? You want me to go work for that person in a way that I'm working for Christ? Yep. That's what Paul says. You mean that one that yells at me, the one that degrades me, the one that cusses at me, the one that makes life so miserable? I'm supposed to work for them in a way that I'm serving them like I serve Christ? Yep, that's what Paul's saying. You mean the one who won't give me a raise, the one who's riding my back all the time? Yep, Paul's saying you serve them. So I want to take you back to the Old Testament for a moment. Maybe you remember Daniel. Many of you probably know Daniel. Maybe you haven't heard of Daniel. Daniel grew up in Jerusalem, surrounded by people who believed like he believed. They believed in God. They believed in one true God. Daniel was carried away, though, to captive in Babylon. And Babylon was a totally pagan group of people. When I use the word pagan, what that means is people who are not God-fearing. They did not hold on to God as their one true source. At that time past, as time passed, King Nebuchadnezzar pointed him at a government official. So he's in Babylon in this pagan culture, but Daniel believes in God, and King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that and sees the fruit of his labor and see how he serves and see how he works and eventually raises him up to be a government official. And Daniel worked in the government office, sitting behind his government desk, doing all his duties as he was able to serve God. And King Nebuchadnezzar respected his faithfulness to God, and so Daniel rose higher and higher among the leaders of the country. The king Nebuchadnezzar dies and passes away. Babylon Empire then begins to disintegrate and finally it's conquered by King Darius. And once again, Daniel's outstanding qualities were recognized by King Darius and he was soon appointed as one of the highest officials in all of the land. There came a time, though, when pressure was put on him to do things that were against God. Daniel said, I've had enough, I won't go that far. Not going to do anything that's against God. And so King Darius, who had become one of his friends, was forced to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. You're probably familiar with the story, especially if you grew up around church. Daniel and a 
den of lions. Thrown in a lion's den where normally these ravaged animals would tear somebody to pieces and destroy their lives. And there's no way you would survive being thrown in a lion's den. But God shut the mouth of the lions. Daniel wasn't harmed. The next morning, Darius, though, because he's a friend of Daniel's, comes rushing to the lion's den expecting to find the mangled bones of Daniel's. And look at what Daniel 6 says. It says, when he came near the den... He called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you have continually been able, continually been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. Imagine the picture of the lions laying on the ground, and Daniel says, I got a bunch of kitty cats. Just petting the cats, playing with the cats, big old cats. Their mouths were shut. It's interesting. Daniel worked for a pagan government. He worked in a pagan office. He worked for a pagan king. And yet one thing the pagan king knew about Daniel was that Daniel served God continually. We have that opportunity right here in 2018. I mean, do your fellow workers know that? Do they know who you serve? Do they know who you honor? Do you try to serve God continually in the environment of your work, of your mission field? Have you seen yourself as, as the walking temple of God? Do you realize that every day I get up and go to work, it's my place of worship? That I can serve God like that? See, if you do that, then your fellow, fellow workers will begin to see that because you start taking your mission field seriously. See, God wants to take you where you're at and your place of employment and use you to impact the lives of those who you work with by you continually serving God, even if it's not a great situation. Your mission field is your place to serve God. And all of us can do that. Truth number three is that all of us are ministers. Every single one of us in this room are ministers. And I get asked the question many times, you know, what am I here for? What's my purpose? You know, why do I exist? How can I do something significant with my life? I'm, I'm tired of doing the daily rat race. I really want to make an impact for God. And, and sometimes people even go as far as, well, how did you become a preacher? I feel like you're really making an impact. I got to tell you, you have a greater chance to make an impact than I do. You have a greater chance. I work in a Christian world. I interact with mostly Christian people. You guys interact with people who don't know God, who don't know Jesus, and you have an opportunity to serve them and love them and point them to the hope of Jesus Christ every single day. So I believe that no matter where you work, your life can be rewarding. You can find your purpose in serving God right where He has planted you at. See, the Bible teaches all of us are ministers no matter what our job is what our job description might be. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Now, God may call you out of that and send you to a mission field. He may call you out of that and say, well, you need to be a preacher or, or a Bible college professor. But if he doesn't, right where you're at, right where you're at, you can choose to be a servant, a minister of God because your ministry is now. So many times you're saying, when's God going to do something with me? When's he going to show me my purpose? He's showing you your purpose right where you're planted. Right where you're planted. As you, as you interact with, me with a fellow school teacher, or you interact with a fellow factory worker, or you interact with somebody in, in the 
in a college that you're in, you have an opportunity to minister. You say, well, I'm a victim of my circumstances. I, I would never choose this job. There's no way I wanted this job. I wanted this greater career, this greater job, and things didn't go the way I wanted them to, and now I'm stuck in this thing, and this is what I'm doing, and I hate every minute of it. Well, it can change, and you say, God, you got me planted right here. I'm going to use it for your glory. Use it for your glory. See, Daniel was a victim of circumstances. Let me ask you, why was Daniel in Babylon? And, of course, the answer is that the Babylonian army took him to Babylon. But notice in Jeremiah 29.7, God says, I have carried you into exile. I have carried you from Jerusalem, a God-fearing area, to Babylon, a pagan area. May I suggest this morning that whatever your job may be that you're doing today, you're right there because that's where God wants you at. Rather, you love it. If you, if you love it, man, what an opportunity. It even gets better. I love my job, and now I have a mission field to go with it. And you may be thinking, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I, I'm ready to call in and quit. I'm ready to hang it all up. I, I don't want to go do that job. It's hard on my body. It, it's so physical. It's just no fun. I, I just don't want to. See, if you say, God, I want to see this world from your perspective, you start to realize, you know what? God probably has planted me right here for this time, for, for a purpose that may be way beyond something you would ever understand. But he has you planted there to be the light of Christ. See, here's Daniel, a pagan place, surrounded by pagan people, but the Bible says that's exactly where God wanted to be. See, if you're in a secular workplace working next to pagans, people who do not believe in God, who, who shake their fist at God, who tell you Christianity is foolish, who says you're a wuss if you're a Christian, who says, why are you so weak? Why do you need that stuff? How can you know it's real? There's no way it's real. All the excuses that come, then you have a God-given opportunity to influence that person for good. See, the person you work next to every single day you get a chance to have conversation with them. You hear their voice every single day. You, they've shared their hopes and dreams with you. You've shared your hopes and dreams with them. Who stood next to you, and, and who's told you about their new car, told you about the marriage struggle, told you about the parenting challenge. Doesn't it make sense that God would put you next to that person so that you can lead them to Christ? That's why he has you planted there. That's why he has planted, uh, us planted across central Kentucky into several workplaces. We're all missionaries in this room. We're missionaries. We have a mission to do. That's lifestyle evangelism. When you see the place you go to, the people that God's put in your life as an opportunity to show them the love of Christ, you're starting to get it then. You're starting to understand what your purpose is. Let me share with you seven ways I think you can be effective in ministering at work. First and foremost, do you pray for your coworkers? I would have a list. If I'm in a public working place, have a list of my coworkers that I work closely to, that I work closely next to. And I would be praying for them every single day. God, I, if you know about their needs, you know about their challenges, you know about their struggles, you're lifting those up. But more importantly, pray, God, develop my relationship so I can show them the love of Christ. Number two, get rid of self-righteousness and be real. 
That is one thing us Christians sometimes struggle with. Oh, I, we get so self-righteous that, well, they do this and they do that, and so I can't interact with them. That's hogwash. Paul says to be in the world but not of the world. It's the principle of isolation or insulation. See, some Christians will say, oh, well, my world that I live in, they do all this stuff over here, and it's so ungodly, so I'm going to isolate myself and stay way away from them because I don't want any of that getting on me. That's the worst thing we can do. We don't isolate ourselves in the world. We insulate ourselves with God. We insulate ourselves with the Holy Spirit so that I can go over here and hang out with people who are doing things I don't agree with without judging them. And go, you know what, I, I, inside you're thinking, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with their lifestyle, but I'm going to love them dearly right where they are. Instead of isolating myself and getting so far away from them that I'll never have a chance to impact their lives. Don't Bible thump people. Don't Bible thump them. Man, it's just, you know you're doing this, it's wrong, this is sin, this is so horrible. People don't respond to that today, folks. They don't. They respond much more if you put an arm around them, walk with them, care about them. In opportunity, you'll share the message of Jesus. Work hard and do your job well. I got to tell you, this is probably one that uh, I've witnessed and seen and I hear about. Christians that are stinking lazy. It's the worst thing we can do is testimony for Christ. If you're supposed to be in a work at 9, then be there at 845. If you're supposed to work to 5, then stay to 5. Don't check out at 445. If you're supposed to turn in business reports, turn in honest business reports. If you're supposed to run errands, run the errands and get back to work. Work hard and work honestly because people observe that and they watch that. And you know that. You know who the loafers are and the people who are just trying to get by. And they say, if you say, I'm a Christian, they see you just trying to float and get by. What kind of witness is that for Christ? Work hard, do your job well. Five, don't revert to your old lifestyle. That's sometimes a temptation. Once you're in Christ and you've chosen a new lifestyle, don't go back to the ways of the world and think, well, I've got to go back and do what they do in order to participate. And over them. No, you don't have to do that. You can still participate, and they're going to the bar. You go to the bar, get a Coke. Fellowship with them. Interact with people. They're having a party at their house. You go to a party at their house. Just don't do all the things of the party that are not of God and get to know them. So don't revert to the old lifestyle. Number six, meet physical needs. You're at work and someone says, man, my car broke down. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. Maybe you could pay for the new tires or the car repair. Man, my family's really hurt and this happened. Or, or, man, this thing's broken down at my house. Well, I know how to fix that. I'll come to your house. You'll come to my house and help me with that? Yeah, I'll come help you. I can fix that for you. You meet a physical need. And then speak when the Holy Spirit tells you to speak. Be in touch with God so that as you're walking through life and you're worshiping God, you're, you're at work at the same time, you're asking God, God, is it time to be quiet? Is it time to speak right now? And when he tells you speak, be willing then to speak up and speak. Back in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, God gave instructions to the children of Israel is how they should behave in a pagan environment when they were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he said. Now here's how I want you to live as my children. I want you to build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat whatever they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. 
So they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Some very practical instructions, very up-to-date as Jeremiah passed on the thoughts of God to a people in exile. What was he saying? God's saying, live with, pe- live with the people and seek peace. Live with the people. Live among them and seek God. Don't just go and isolate yourself and get so far away from them. He's saying, you be God's person. You be different and yet blend into society. Don't give in their way of doing things. Daniel didn't. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they didn't. I don't even have time to get into that story. How else did they thrown in a fire and they're saved? They went so far and they said, this is as far as we can go because we're not going to dishonor God, but we'll live in this society. See, there were fire furnaces, there were, there were lion's dens, but God saw them through all of that. He'll see you through it too. When we live in a culture that is becoming more and more godless, more and more moving away from God's plan and God's direction, what an opportunity we have, church, if we will stay true to who God is in our life. If we'll still serve him and honor him and worship him every single day, he'll show us through it. And God would tell us, hey, settle down, build houses, have a job there, have some children there, interact, but make sure that God is number one. See, we're the ones who have a message. The message of Jesus Christ. I just talked about how he's saying about the message of Jesus. We have that message. What an opportunity. See, we carry it into our hearts this morning. We carry that message into this place where we come to worship together as a church. So what about carrying it in your workplace on Monday and Tuesday? Carrying a workplace on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. That every single day we carry that because someone so desperately needs the message that we believe. Someone needs the Jesus that you surrender to. Somebody needs the Jesus that you say, I praise your name forevermore. They need to know that Jesus Christ. And you're planted right in the middle of a world who needs to know Jesus. So adopt your mission field. Adopt your project to be a servant for God and being a minister in your place of work. Bow your heads with me.